Welcome to the Inventory Professional Podcast, brought to you by Inventory Base, providers of industry-leading property inspection software, accredited training, and on-demand property reports. Join us as we discuss the latest news, legislation, and all things property, hosted by our very own inventory expert, Sean Hemming Metcalf. With regular special guests, listen in to our open and honest discussions about the role of the inventory professional and how to navigate through this ever-changing, fast-paced industry. Hi and good morning to everybody. Uh, thank you for joining Inventory Base Academy um, webinar. I'm Sean from Inventory Base Academy and today we are going to be talking about levelling up property reports and what the future holds for the service providers. But before we get into that, I would like to welcome our panel. We have um, Ben Shaw representing Trust Inventory. Welcome, Ben. We've got Mark Lazarus from Storm Inventories, welcome Mark. Melissa Guthrie Noyce from MGN Inventories. Hello, <sighs> Melissa. Um, my partner in crime for our podcast on the inventory professional. And um, we've got Charlie Saunders from Assist Inventories. Um, welcome, Charlie. And Emily Joyce from AJPS in um, place of Anthony, um, um, who unfortunately couldn't join us today. So where is he, Emily? What's uh, he doing? He's in Australia. Oh. Oh, good reason. Yeah, I believe he's actually at the theatre right now. No, it's the evening there. What can I say? Oh, right. Okay. (laughs) I'll have to give him that. I I bet it's a lot nicer and a lot warmer out there than it is here at the moment. I think it's a little bit warmer, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So today's um, webinar, um, I thought it would be a great idea to kind of start bringing us service providers, infantry clerks, however we want to be called together, because we all talk a lot. And I know I talk a lot to you guys in one capacity or another, um, more in some respects. And Emily, we were chatting for quite a long time the other day, which was, I know, (laughs) we do like a chat. Um, And I just thought it'd be really nice to kind of get us together and actually showcase the industry that actually we're here. You know, we're not the kind of like report fairies who just turn up with keys and all of a sudden you don't see us and there's a report, you know, it just magically appears. Um, And that we've got a lot to say. We've got a lot of skills we um you know we bring a lot to the table and i thought it'd be great for us to kind of start these kind of panels start discussing what's going on in the um, rental sector and also how that affects us both in our own service and how we also get to support our own clients like your landlords your agents and your tenants um so um a little bit of housekeeping the webinars due to be around about 60 minutes um and we'll try not to um, go over that it is being recorded and it will be available on demand via the zoom link and it will also go onto YouTube and it will also be converted into a podcast. So hopefully there's plenty of platforms there for everybody to um, get engaged and talk and um, have a good listening as to what uh, our illustrious panels have got to say about what's going on in the industry at the moment. So. I thought it'd be a really uh, good way to start off with talking about three key subjects. So we're going to look at sustainability in the letting sector, what the impacts and options are, the effects of levelling up um, on the white paper, the appeal of Section 21, and what that means for the service industry. And also look at contracts and SLAs, because they're they're a big talking subject, certainly for me, and certainly for a lot of other people I've been speaking to. And um, we want to find out, you know, are they a realistic option, or do we just need, as infantry providers of class, 
clerks, as professionals, you know, to act more like a service business to affect the change that we want to see from our own clients. So, um, so sustainability and letting sector. So what I'm talking about is EPCs, the fact that the government is looking to get properties up to a grade C. And want to know, you know, from, from all you guys on the panel and also everybody that is listening, if you've got any questions, please do put that in the um, questions uh, box. You know, what is this doing to housing stock? Um, are landlords actually going to comply? And um, what improvements will this actually help or will it um, leaves the sector, you know, in a bit of dire straits and what impact will going to be on these services. Um, Charlie, if I may, can I start with you? Because I know you've done a bit of work around this particular subject. Uh, yeah, excuse me. Yeah, we um, we have indeed. Um, it was... So the, the white paper is mainly Zoe's. She spent so much time on this, um, which has given us some great valuable information and as you said it's got to be up to a minimum of C. Um, I mean the first thing in my opinion is that it's just another piece of red tape for the landlord. They're just getting bombarded it bombarded by it so much um, over the recent years which has caused a few of them to leave the market. Um, I think a lot of agents think that more landlords will leave the market you know, the more red tape that comes in, this is just another thing, this is another expense for landlords, making it less pro profitable for them to be landlords. Um, however, the white paper seems to suggest that any landlords that were leaving the market already have. So I think the ones that are there now are, you know, they're there to stay. They're committed, you think, to, to, yeah. to longer term? I think so. I think so. So I think, you know... If they're committed to longer term, they're normally up to date with all their regulations, normally got a few properties. Um, so they they should, I think, put the work in to get it up to a C broadly. OK, what does everybody else think? I mean, what you know, you're all different parts of the country. Are we uh, seeing um, landlords kind of engaging with the process and getting on with the works that needs to be done? You know, what, what, what are we feeling about it all? Um, I mean, I think it's great in Sorry. principle. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I do think it's great go in next principle. Then. Obviously, we want the standards to increase. Um, but again, I mean, you know, like Charlie's saying with the red tape, funnily enough, I met a private landlord the other day, um, multi-properties, and he was a grade D. Um, and the recommendation was that he spent around £6,000 um, to make it to a C and when he asked what the benefit of that would be on a yearly basis they said 84 pounds now for him that that's not sustainable there's no there's no point in him doing it um, luckily in this instance he realized that the assessor had missed the insulation in the loft so he got her to go back and then that changed him to a C but he said if those parameters change again then you know next year he just won't let it he'll sell the property um, and obviously, if that that might be an isolated incident, but if that's happening sort of time and time again, then our stock levels will go down um, because people just it's not worth their while to put in that amount of money to raise it. I mean, there needs to be some, um, you know, some logic to it, really. It's interesting that is then because then if he hadn't challenged the actual rating, then he would have still been in that. I would have spent that money when actually yes. in reality he hasn't been. Um, I mean, 
are we finding that landlords are challenging these or are they just accepting the EPC rating that they're just given? I mean, I think in this instance, he, uh, you know, he's sort of a bit of fame with everything. And so he properly read the report and then he realised actually something's been missed. But for maybe an incidental landlord and someone that doesn't know too much about it, you know, if it's went through the lettings agency and they've just been told, look, this is wrong, um, you know, not wrong, but this needs to be improved on, then maybe they never would have known. Um, and then obviously that that is a huge mistake in terms of finances. So... Oh, absolutely. Yeah, if you're spending that kind of money out. Ben, you wanted to uh, make a comment. Sorry, yes. Um, I, I tend to agree, to be honest with you, that um, it, it will it will take people, landlords, out of the market. I mean, I'm, I'm talking here with two hats on, one one representing trust inventory and one as a, I'm a portfolio landlord myself. And I, uh, and I used to work in a state agency up until about uh, eight months ago. So I kind of I've got a foot in multiple camps, if that makes sense. So maybe yeah. a bit of a different perspective. But uh, from an estate agent side, I would say um, we might see a, a reduction in the number of landlords for a period of time um, that will involve people then selling those properties. You'll have, I guess, a split of first-time buyers buying some of those properties, but then more likely than not, quite a lot of landlords who are portfolio uh, will look to pick up those additional properties, willing to spend that money to improve the EPC rating because it is a commercial venture for them. It's a, a numbers game, I guess. So um, I think very much going back to what uh, Melissa said, um, you will have two different, in the state agency, there's two types of landlords. There's professionals and there's those who inherit granny's property who, I guess, um, sadly, somebody's passed away. They've inherited a house. They don't know what to do with it. So they think, oh, we'll rent it. But they don't know any of the ins and outs. And so I guess at that stage, it's whether they pick the right professionals to help them deliver on making it profitable. So the right estate agent, the right inventory clerk, you know, um, who they put around them is really crucial to whether or not that's a viable option for them. Uh, and very much like uh, uh, Charlie said, um, for some people, it's just not good value for money if you've got to spend six thousand pounds to get an 84 pound a year uh saving on your energy bills is that a viable option to keep that property and the answer is probably not unless you're looking at it as a long-term business um i.e a portfolio landlord who's playing a numbers game who knows that if they hold on to that property for x number of years it will go up in price and it will those those investments they make in making it more energy efficient will ultimately affect the price they can sell it for and potentially buy some maybe smaller units and more of them or or just you know downsize that unit in general make their portfolio more uh succinct so i guess i i would say from a personal perspective as a landlord, I'm prepared to, to make those investments. And I do, I think as, as inventory professionals, I imagine we've all come across those delightful properties where you think, mm, I wonder if that landlord might've invested a bit more money in this, if it wouldn't get a higher rental or it might get a better caliber of tenant or something like that. I can see a lot of nodding. So I, I'm assuming everyone's <laughs> yeah. agreeing with that one. Um, but, you know, I, I would say uh, as, as a landlord, I'm prepared to invest that money and say, it, it might be a short-term dip, but I think long-term, people need to have somewhere to live. People, not everybody can afford a mortgage. And so rental has got to be 
uh, well, we know we know there's not enough capacity in the uh, public sector, so there's got to be private sector. And with private sector, you will have portfolio landlords who will buy up those properties and, and keep them rented out. It just might take a little while to build back up to the stock levels we've seen previously. But I think it's if there is a dip, I think it's going to be momentary. I doubt that it will be long term. No, I think that's a really good point. And, and, and that actually kind of um, brings me to the point of um, I saw the other day, um, it was Ben Beadle from National Residential Landlords Association saying um, in an editorial that um, I read online, about 270,000 uh, properties needed in, in the private rental sector to, you know, meet demand over the next 10 year period. So it's not that people don't need them. So maybe it's more of a question of, like you said, getting the right people, but also the education side of it. Um, so people can understand exactly what an EPC rating is. What does it mean? Query it if it doesn't look right. And at least, like you said, have the right people around them to actually manage that, be the letting agents ourselves as inventory providers. A lot of us are also provide EPCs and other services. So we've got a wealth of information that we can help landlords with. I think the key thing is they got to, They need to know that we actually, we do have it. You know, there is a resource out there. What about you, Emily? Would you agree with that? I would. And I think it's really interesting, um, you know, that you, it, it, it is a business. You know, you have to remember that, that landlords are making money. They are, they are owning properties that are earning money. These, these properties, are, they're working properties. Um, um, and recently, I mean, I live in the ULES uh, zone in, in London, the ultra low emission zone, and plenty of people recently have had to upgrade their cars um, or they're going to get fined for driving in the uh, in the ULES zone. And I don't I don't disagree that properties should have to come up to a certain mark as well. We're living in a time where uh, we are very concerned about the environment uh, and our emissions that are going out and properties have to have to come up to the mark. That said, there are going to be a lot of people that can't afford to make the changes and it would be beneficial to many if there were um uh you know rent uh sorry uh, loans mm -hmm. for people to be able to afford to make these improvements to get rid of their gas boilers or at least upgrade them and we see you know in london there's an awful lot of new builds going on uh and very few well I suppose out in the suburbs you have more older properties and and you know you're kind of torn between these um the beautiful housing stock that we have in the UK um of houses that have been here for hundreds sometimes of years it's it would be criminal to get rid of them all and build these new builds which obviously work really well my one I'm wondering if as inventory service providers, actually we can assist more. We can, it's not only about training inventory clerks to do EPCs, uh, that's one way of doing it. It's an expensive training and it's, you know, it's, it's not easy. Um, but we can look at properties and have a look and see whether they've got double glazing, whether they've got insulation, what kind of heating they have and help landlords to look at areas where they might need to make improvements. I mean, or you could, you know, fact, sorry, fact, no, no. actually what we do is we list facts. We're not paid to have an opinion about a property, <laughs> although we probably do. Um, we are paid to list the facts and we can maybe do that by incorporating that into our reports. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you think about it, we've got the vehicles already, fitness for human habitation. You only have to look at that as, as a way of understanding, especially for decent home um, standards, because I know in the white paper it said about decent home standards, but it actually hasn't quite qualified what that actually is going to be. But we've got fitness for human habitation that asks about things like, you know, can you vent? Is it warm? You know, is the property safe, etc.? So we can use that as a basis to understand, OK, how good does that quality of stock combined with the EPC, have an understanding, not necessarily be trained as an EPC assessor because it is quite a saturated market, but certainly understand the principles. So then when we're looking at it, we're giving that advice and we're filling out that uh, fitness for human habitation risk assessment, we can say, well, look, these are the kind of things you need to look at. These are the kind of things you need to pay attention to or at least refer to the EPC or challenge the EPC or get more information. So I think we've definitely got a a role certainly in with that. And I know what you mean about opinion normally, um, we don't have a, an opinion on anything or, you know, the whole point of what we do with reports is to be, remain very impartial. But I think if, you know, if we look at what, um, say, for argument's sake, uh, surveyors do, they provide their opinion, but they also provide the facts and everything that goes behind it. And they're offering their service on the basis of their knowledge and their expertise. And I think we've got a wealth of that in, in this industry that we just do not tap into. No, and if we did we could definitely give a better service. I mean, I don't know if you agree, Mark. I mean, what about your experience in this area? Um, I think going back to your initial question on sustainability and how that's implemented, and I think Emily's point on the ULEZ is is a very interesting one because I think it demonstrates how important incentives are when looking at behaviour change. And you only have to look at where the incentives lie uh, to see what the outcome is going to be. And with the ULEZ, you know, you drive your... Your, your, your older van through through London the, the camera takes a picture and you get fined and you can't escape it and um, that's what's driving people to, to, to upgrade their vehicles it's not that majority of those people are concerned about emissions it's they don't want to be fined and a lot of these topics that I think you're going to cover here um, come down to how is this going to be enforced um, in reality and I don't see the necessary infrastructure in place to uh, realistically shift the private rental housing stock to a level C anytime soon. I think 2025 is a totally unrealistic target. You've got millions of houses that don't meet those standards. You don't have it. There's not enough contractors available, even if you wanted to Mm. do the work. The costs of the work are going up 20% a year with inflation on materials. I don't see it happening. And I think within 18 months, the government are going to roll that back and they're going to have to shift those timeframes and, and find a new way of um, explaining this to people because it, it, I don't think it's sustainable. Um, the initiative itself is, is, is important. I, I'm not entirely convinced that, you know, um, changing light bulbs is going to change the, 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 the global climate issue. Uh, I think, you know, big industry is, is really to blame for a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of the problems we have. And I think the, the shift of, you know, to moving responsibility to individuals is, is a bit of a political one. It's the same thing with like driving electric cars. Yes, it's great, but really it's a tiny proportion of, 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 uh, of the picture. Um, and it's really big industry that, that, that contributes so much to, to global pollution and mainly in, in industrializing uh, um, east where you're you're getting huge amounts of uh of emissions so yeah i don't see it i don't see um the enforcement and the regulation being in place and i don't see you know uh, until landlords feel they're going to be fined or until landlords can't get a mortgage or a buy to let mortgage i think it's one of the things that was hinted at that 
potentially, um, you know, you might not be able to get the right type of mortgage for your property if you don't have the right, uh, right EPC level. If that starts to come into place, and suddenly I think you're going to see landlords waking up and saying, oh, hold on a minute, this is going to affect my yield. This is going to affect you know, my, my yearly income and profitability. Um, and, and then you might start sh- seeing a shift. But until then, I, I just see it as a lot of, you know, uh, political appeasement. Um, and uh, I think this has been going on for years. And, you know, the, the, the decent home stand has been around for 20 years and Labour introduced it 20 years ago. This, is, this, 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 this rhetoric is not new. Um, and it's been great for social housing sector. It, it brought standards up um, over, say, a 10 year period pretty quickly. Um, but there were incentives in place. There was there was it was a simple, clear objective given to the councils and they had access to funding to, to, to achieve it. The private rental sector, again, you know, until they can't rent the properties out. Um, and like uh, one of the speakers said, you know, the, the, the unprofessional landlords, the incidental landlords, until they start to struggle to, 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 to gain yield. I don't see um, I don't see see people investing hugely in in their in their properties unless they have to. I think it will remain a reactive dynamic. Yeah, and certainly I'm seeing that in some of the portfolio that I deal with in my own personal business. Um, you know, there there is kind of like, well, okay, we'll wait and see to see to I get pushed far enough that I have to, that it becomes a problem, then I'll, I'll then deal with it at that point. And I did actually speak to an EPC assessor yesterday about the subject. And he was saying that, you know, that, and agreeing with you, what you're saying about the 2025 agenda, he doesn't think that's going to happen. I think he said, realistically, you're looking at 2028, maybe 2030. Um, because again, so many properties, especially the old ones, like you said, Emily, are um, too old. A lot of them will be then um, excluded, won't have to meet that market because there's just no way that they can do that. It, it just, you couldn't retrofit the properties. It, it, they're just not able to, to be able to get to that sea level. Um, so it's in a way, what we're kind of like saying is that, yes, we've got the EPC C rating there. We've got the sustainability agenda and, and trying to, you know, get, you know, to a carbon neutral place. But certainly at the moment, we're not really seeing landlords worrying overly about it. And also it might necessarily impact stock, which, you know, taking the the, uh, the actual uh, subject question is, you know, what the impact will then be for us as providers? Because obviously if we don't have houses to provide to, then there's no work for us. So we're not really kind of like concerned. Would that be a fair assessment? Yeah, Um I, I look. I, I, I think there's, you know, there's always going to be stock. Um, I, I can't see that. That I can't see those dynamics changing dramatically. Um, and yeah, I think as inventory providers, we have an opportunity to to present data. Uh, we're f- often first in and first out of a property, and that gives us, you know, an advantage over other service providers. You know, we 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 have a privileged position in that sense, um, and we have an opportunity to to you know take the horse to water mm-hmm. um but you know in in 10 years i've never had a conversation with an agent on on fitness for for homes I, I, it's never come up no um it just it's just not a topic that that gets raised um you know again you've got to go back to incentives from there's a, there's there's a misalignment of incentives so you've got the government on one hand trying to push all these initiatives but you know um the agent is concerned with making sure that their properties are rented for their landlords. The landlords are making sure the rents are paid. The tenants are making sure that the, the, the place is warm and clean and tidy. And the majority of private rental homes are um, in relatively good condition. You know, and I think it's very easy that the, the 
you know, that perhaps don't meet the standards, get a lot of the headlines. Um, and yeah, I, I'm fully, I'm fully in support of, of, of incentivizing those landlords um, and removing them from the, from the market. But I don't think that's something that we as inventory providers are really going to, um, going to be able to, to affect, you know, yes, we can highlight the reports, but then you get, there's a, there's a commercial angle, you know, which is sometimes people don't want the information, you know, mm-hmm. um, they don't want to be told, you know, it's like we could, we could tell a landlord X, Y, and Z is wrong with your property. You should spend 500 pounds here and 200 pounds there. And you should, you should fix this and you should fix that. And I've always I've thought over the years, what a great service that would be. And the minute you test it, the minute you speak to people, people, they don't want to know, you know, it's, it's the incentives not there for people to react. And it's a shame. And I think as forward thinking um, business owners, and I'm sure all of us are, we, we want to be able to do more. We want to add more value. We want to creep up the value chain and not, you know, perhaps be seen as these commodified service providers. Um, but without full engagement from the rest of the stakeholders and a shift in culture, it's very, very difficult. And perhaps these initiatives, you know, government-led initiatives, you know, will slowly compound over time. And perhaps, you know, the internet bringing transparency to business broadly um, and making things a little bit less opaque will encourage agents and landlords to take um, to take some of this a bit more seriously. And over time, perhaps we will drag up standards. But I think patience is, is key. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. And I think in a way, the um, the effects of levelling up and going into our second part of the, que- of, of the um, questions that we've got for today, that kind of dovetails quite nicely into that because one of the ideas of the levelling up paper is, as I said, standardise, bring that decent home standard back up into the forefront, get properties to the right level, get them to EPC um, C level and, and get it into a much fitter and better and proper place so that quite rightly you've got you end up with really good landlords with really good tenants with really good homes and a sustainable um service so that that um, makes a huge amount of sense so bearing that in mind with the uh, changes that the leveling up paper are recommending including the ongoing repeal the section 21 um is that do you think um going to be affecting us as providers is it going to make any difference um, and what do we want from our service industry to see put in place in order to, you know, safeguard what's going to happen once that Section 21 actually gets repealed? You know, what's going to go in place of it? What will happen? Will it make any difference at all? Will we find um, landlords actually looking at our reports even more closely because they're going to need more evidence in order to actually then say, I need to end this tenancy for this or this reason because they've taken the you know, um, no fault eviction out of the equation. What do we think? I think, I didn't know who was going to speak. Um, I think it's uh, actually what it will do is make the midterm inventory crucial. A lot of, uh, a lot of people don't actually use them. Um, a, a lot of data, I mean, I think they see it as a bit of a, a, a an expense that they don't need mid-tenancy mm. and actually they are they're very quick they're not expensive but they are a snapshot of a property at that particular time and it gives a really good overview of how the property is being treated we're allowed in you know we are independent and we can just go in and say it looks like this this is the evidence uh, and i think that is going to be absolutely 
crucial. I was asked the other day to go into a property and uh, because the rumour had been that it was being treated appallingly. And I went in and I said, it, 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 it's immaculate. I don't, I, I don't know what... So but where did that come from then? That, that's the, that well, I think it came from a disgruntled person. Uh, mm. I'm not going to go into too much detail. About that. <laughs> but, um, but that was... You know, so it meant that I could go in independently and represent the agent um, but I could you know chat to the tenants and see what was going on you know we're we're incredibly useful <laughs> to you know because we're generally quite nice people well and plus in. also we're, we're, we've got an impartial view aren't we we're there to to kind of just to find out the facts we're not there to judge we're not there to you know cast aspersions or anything along those lines and I think certainly in my own interactions as well as is that tenants tend to be much more relaxed with us they'll talk to us more because they don't feel that there's a bit of a hidden agenda because one of the first things I ever say to them I'm here I'm impartial I'm here just to look at this and this is what I'm doing you know tell me you know what you need me to be aware of and so on and so forth and build that rapport up whereas I think sometimes when it's not us they think oh you know I can't say anything or if I say something where does that go to and and you know what they're going to react like and I, I always feel they're more comfortable when they've got an infantry clerk in their house doing the interims yeah definitely definitely and I think you know we can we can gather huge amounts of information um and I think it's it, uh, uh yeah sorry I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna be quite that's okay somebody that's else speak. <laughs> I mean Melissa you do quite a lot of um interim inspections how do you find them um, yes, I mean, I, I very much agree that I think this will, will be crucial now. Um, our reports will be um, so much more important to do them. We um, similarly, I sort of explain that I'm there and I'm independent and that lets the tenants sort of say their piece. Um, what I do find and I think is quite telling as well is that a lot of tenants will say, oh, I, you know, I just need to point this out, point that out, show me the maintenance. But then they are very much like, but I'm fine with it. It's fine. You know, you don't need to push it. I don't want to upset the landlord. And I think with, you know, the no fault eviction previously, a lot of tenants are worried about rocking the boat. They're very worried that if I go back and say, look, this needs to be done, that needs to be done, this hasn't been done for, you know, the last six months, they're saying it's outstanding. They're worried that the landlords will serve them notice. Um, so I do see, you know, the benefit in the repeal um of protecting them and having longer term tenancies um i mean to touch on the repeal of the section 21 it struck fear in my heart from a property management background <laughs> of um i mean i know ben said he's from a you know a state agency background before but the section 8 process is problematic um to say the least <laughs> so uh, that was always kind of accompanied with a uh, section 10 um, and there would be, there are lots of ways that tenants, unscrupulous tenants, knew how to get around it, um, which is Section 8 is saying two months um, in arrears, and they would pay like a tiny amount just so they weren't two months in arrears, then the whole process would have to start again. Um, and these kind of things, I think it's great because it's protecting the tenants um, and it's letting them stay in properties longer. Um, obviously, the knock-on effect of that is that maybe they're not going to be moving so much. So, again, that's a... Um, that's something that will impact our market. But from the point of view of landlords, I, I think it's worrying that a lot of them will be scared. And depending on their guidance from agencies, um, they might be very worried about whether this means they've got a tenant in there forever 
what it will mean if they need to try and get back in, what if they, you know, really don't get on with the tenant if there's an arrears situation. I think, um, you know, there's talk of making the housing tribunal to help with um, it going through court and things. And it's, it's so important because unless the Section 8 process changes as it is, I think we will lose landlords from, from that point of view because it will be so difficult to get the property back onto the market. Um, but I mean, yes, going back to the inspections, this, this will be a lifeline for them for that evidence. The inventory is going to be even more important now, as are the checkouts as their basis of evidence. But to have that extra step in between is will be so important to them. Yeah, it would be good if we could actually get it so that it's not a choice of, that it actually should be a mandatory action, i.e. that yeah. the whole... Yeah information chain like it is when you're doing a tenancy like with the asts well like the right to rent and so on and so forth that inventories are and interims and checkouts are part and parcel so that they are done at regular intervals rather than like you said a kind of like afterthought or bargain basement because i don't really don't want to pay i think um you know certainly from my own experience landlords and that i've spoken to have said i don't mind paying as long as it's going to be useful for me as long as i can use it as long as it actually adds value um so that you know when it comes to the checkout when it comes to any dispute or anything along those lines and section 21 as it stands at the moment you know i've got everything that i need but it needs to do that so i'm happy to pay for it if it does the job that i want it to do um but i think i think interims do do that i think maybe the understanding around them isn't as clear so maybe that's something certainly from us as a as provider we need to be um, you know, more clear, talking about it more, selling the benefits, um, not of the of getting the report, but of, of the actual what the report will do in regards to de-risking some of the situations or at least highlighting things and getting things like maintenance sorted out. Um, I think sometimes um, the reports that we do are looked on more as though it's just a report. I always look at it as it's a potential um, risk mitigation um, report and also um, often it will actually um, bring the conversation down it will kind of like demotivate the um, the conversation because it's all about facts and figures and then you can then deal with things like maintenance and other kind of issues I mean Ben what about you because being a portfolio landlord as you are I mean section 21 how does that feel for you does it worry you so again, I think it comes down to uh, well, a couple of different factors, some very interesting things that a lot of people have said. So uh, does Section 21 worry me? No, no, it doesn't. Um, and again, because because I'm a portfolio landlord who um, isn't looking to sell my properties, uh, they are an investment that I plan to keep long term. I'm quite happy for tenants to stay as long as they're paying their rent. Now, um, there are lots of mitigations for tenants who don't pay their rent. Obviously, you have, as, as we said, got the section, the perilous section eight, which uh, I think Melissa brought up. Um, but, but a lot of portfolio landlords, if they're really worried, and and I play it cautiously. Uh, and again, I think it all comes down to, if I'm honest, those who treat it like a business and those who treat it like a pastime so for me it's a business and therefore I want to insure my my income uh, so I I have insurance uh, alongside my you know my my landlord's insurance that covers uh, non-payment of rent um, for a it's normally a 12-month period now obviously um, you should <laughs> even with section 8 be able to get rid of tenants who aren't paying rent if they've if they've not paying rent for 12 months you know by that point you should be in that position um 
So I think there's some amendments that the government's got to really look into. So like uh, Melissa said, this whole paying a small percentage so they're not quite two months in arrears, um, that, that shouldn't fly. That should, be, that should be amended, ideally, alongside. So if, it, if it's sort of any proportion of rent that is overdue for more than two months, that should be how it's done, rather than it has to be exactly two months' worth of rent. Um, so I think, I think those kind of legislative changes need to be brought in alongside the repeal of Section 21. Um, but in terms of, um, am I worried as a portfolio landlord about my tenants staying forever? No, I have tenants who've been with me for eight years. I think they'll stay with me until they pass away. And I'm quite happy with that because they're good tenants. They, they look after the property. Um, and, and, and for me, it's a business. I don't want any void periods and, and no landlord wants any void periods. Plus, I'm not paying remarketing. I'm not paying for all the other expenses. You know, those cheeky estate agents that I used to be um, have these horrendous charges. <laughs> you said that. that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think that was one of the other things you mentioned uh, that some of the uh, I think Emily mentioned was uh, and yourself, sorry, um, was uh, obviously uh, the, the cost. I appreciate midterm inspections are cheap but when you have an estate agent who says i'm going to charge you an inventory make and a checkout um, and they don't mention any interim they don't mention the interim because they don't want to pay for something that they feel they can do themselves so okay. i work for quite a large company i work for connell's group who now owns uh, countrywide and uh, sequence which a lot of people will know the brands but not necessarily know how big that actually is it's it's huge and all across the country um they do all their own midterm inspections and they only do one a year now I worked at other estate agencies in the past. They do two a year. Some would try and do it sort of three times a year to sort of have that consistency. But if you start charging landlords money for those sort of interim inspections, when you're already paying perhaps quite a hefty management fee, you start to think as a landlord, well, is 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 it worth me paying that management fee? Can I do it myself? And so estate agents who are probably more likely to have a, a wider sort of portfolio of properties, which I would imagine most of us get our, our business from, that's probably the reason they're less inclined to, to take us up on midterm um, uh, inspections um, because, uh, or, or, you know, I guess it's a cost to them, ostensibly. They're, uh, they're looking to avoid having those extra outgoings and maximise their own profits. So I, I'd say that's kind of, one of the reasons um is it a way of incentivizing them do you think from our point of view as providers because we know the benefits of them we know it's not a case about doing them cheaply it's about doing them right that's my point my my, my view is it should be it shouldn't be about price point it should be about quality and what it brings to the table what benefits and what uh, how it de-risks the tenancy de-risks the issues towards the agent and everything else. So, you know, from us as providers, well, what can we do then to, to kind of like convince them that actually it's better to have an impartial uh, interim inspection, it's better to pay, you know, not huge amounts of money and depending on the frequency, it, it, I don't think it's actually um, a, a particularly big cost, but I think the benefits are huge if it's done properly. And I think, again, that comes down to the professionalism of the landlord, if I'm honest, because you're, I, I, I would highly doubt you're ever going to persuade an estate agent that they should spend money. I just don't, it, it's, uh, it, it, unless they have to, unless it's absolutely necessary, if they think they can do it themselves, head down to the property, take a few pictures, tell the landlord, yeah, the property is in good condition or no, it needs some maintenance, which is invariably what 
what quite a lot of the estate agents do rather than spend that money they'll do it themselves um, and they'll normally send you know the the office clerk or something like that they'll send they'll send the person who's, who's not making them any money down there so that the, the administrator generally um, and it's a quick sort of five ten minute job for them uh, your professional landlords uh, I think like, like myself who see the value in it who think actually a professional report is actually very valuable and, and will make a huge difference to any potential future claims against the deposit things like that you know or uh, does it head things off beforehand I mean I've always looked at it very much from a landlord's perspective as um, a way of uh, avoiding more serious damage to the property so um, I'm sure a lot of you will have come across situations where the tenants, I think someone mentioned earlier, the tenants going, oh, no, but don't worry about it. It's fine. I can live with that. It's not a problem. And, and you try and explain to a tenant that actually it's not necessarily about whether they're happy living in that sort of way. Um, it's actually that door that you're having to slam shut every time you're slamming it, that's pulling the handle off the door. Um, and that's actually going to result in a much bigger bill for the landlord. So I think if I was, you know, when I try and explain to landlords and uh, and an estate agent what's the benefit of us going in it's it's very much like you say actually they open up a lot more to an independent individual someone not tied to the landlord or the estate agent um, and actually find those problems that maybe have gone missed because the tenant was too worried about saying oh well the bathroom flooded and because uh, the kids turned the taps on and, and it spilt over the door uh, uh, warped and expanded and now it doesn't close properly and actually all it probably needed was just a very quick sand down or a, or a you know a bit of uh, shaving at top and bottom uh, to make the door fit again without having to slam the door to close it and that saves the door from splitting or from the handle coming off which actually probably results in a much higher bill um, who you then have that that unfortunate situation where landlords still got to replace it no matter what happens now either either the money gets back to the landlord at the end of the tenancy because it's considered damage or it's considered wear and tear. And, and no matter what happens, the landlord is always going to have, uh, you know, it's never going to be the cost price. It's always going to be a reduced version of that because the door was there for 10 years and, you know, wear and tear and devaluation. So, yeah, I, I would honestly say that there are lots of ways that it can be explained to landlords and estate agents. It's, it's whether, I think it all comes down to whether they're receptive to that and, uh, and how good we are at explaining the pros and cons the benefits of it which again comes back down to another comment made earlier on about the education of isn't it is about explaining it showcasing the benefits um and like i said de-risking it and also highlighting a bit what i was getting from what you were just saying is the fact that sometimes tents get so used to living in a certain way that they they cannot become a bit like my my son's bedroom nose blind to the sock smell you know they, they can't you know you kind of get so used to it you just don't see it anymore so of course then you when when you're walking around or when you live in there you just don't pick it up whereas you or I and Mark and Emily and um, Charlie and uh, and uh, Melissa we would pick those up because that's what we do that and we've because we've got that impartial view we can see those things and see the things that maybe the tenant hasn't seen or at least see the repercussions and the risks going forward and i think that's kind of like the benefits of what we do as service providers we can see those risks we can understand it and we can forecast 
And by doing that, I think we can then reduce that maintenance bill. We can reduce that issue when it gets back down um, to the checkout side. And that and that's kind of like, I think, one of the biggest roles that we, we've got, apart from obviously the infantry and the checkout, we can really um, add value in that way. Um, I mean, Charlie, from your point of view, especially with the white paper that you've done and the landlords you've talked to, what's their feeling on interim inspections? Are they bothered? Is it something that they want to get involved in or is it is it is it down to cost? Yeah, so I have to say, I mean, midterms is something that I've always tried to, I'd say push, but, you know, inform landlords and agents of the importance of it. Um, it was like what, what I think Ben was saying in that it, the whole point is to try and stamp out problems earlier and the earlier you can stamp them out and the less it's going to cost the landlord in the long run. Um, but then that comes down really to the whole inventory process as well. Like you said, it's that chain of information. If you've got the inventory and check-in and then you've got regular midterm inspections, say every six months, and the tenants know there's going to be a checkout as well, it kind of shows the tenant that you're professional or the landlord or the agent is professional and they want to look after the property. And then it kind of then puts that up onto the tenants as well. If the landlord or the agent doesn't really care, then the, the tenants are not so bothered. But if the, if the tenants know that the agent and the landlord want to look after the property, then the tenants tend to do the same. But, you know, that's normally the case more in family homes. We also do a lot in London, sharers. I used to own a lettings agency. You mentioned to their midterm inspection, they're like, when you come in or panicking, they need to clean, they need to sort the place out. So, you know, it, it swings in roundabouts. But in the last 10 years of, of um, being working in lettings, management, inventories, it's, you know, if they're going to be done, it's normally done by the landlord or the letting agent. Um, although literally, literally in, in the last month or so, we have had a couple of agents with large management portfolios that are starting now to talk to us about doing midterms for them. Um, so that's quite interesting. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. I think there's a big push, certainly within, from what I'm understanding in the, the different forums and the agents and the landlords I'm speaking to, that, um, you know, they're, they're fast realising that they need to concentrate on their own revenue generating tasks that will make money for them. And there's yeah. a lot of stuff, which is, you know, basic admin doing interim inspections, doing inventories and checkouts that don't really fall into those kind of categories. They, you know, they, they provide information they provide um obviously support in regards to deposit and disputes and so on and so forth but it, it doesn't bring another property necessarily into into their pipeline so it makes sense for them to concentrate on those and then outsource to us you know to people who know what they're doing who can have that rapport with the tenant and, and make it so much easier to get that information especially like the wind tents maybe are not necessarily willing to kind of like engage or they don't feel they're able to engage or they're looking you know that um that landlords and agents don't really worry or bother too much about them so therefore why should they bother about the property um so, you know, I'm finding that um, there are more calls for interim inspections, but I think, again, we as providers, we need to kind of keep selling those benefits. And again, my view is sell the benefits and then talk about the price and part rather than I'll do it for X amount of money. And then that's the, the whole conversation. And I think that, again, goes back down to the whole education side of things. 
But one of the problems we've also got, and it's our third point in, in, in what I want to talk today, is, is the whole issue of contracts and SLAs, is that everything is kind of done almost like on a... Um, uh, a willing basis you know it's more of a goodwill basis it's not necessarily done on anything substantial in regards to contracts and SLAs where it actually pinpoints when you're going to do things how, how you're going to do them to what kind of standard how many times and so on and so forth so um, is that something having contracts and SLAs that would actually help us as an industry to be able to cement all these different processes and get in place all these different reports including the interim or is the goodwill that we've got at the moment working? What do we all think about that? Uh, did, uh, does anyone, do people in general uh, have contracts with agents? You know, do you demand exclusivity? Uh, I, I find that when we try to push that kind of thing, agents tend to just back off. They don't, they don't really wanna be in a long-term relationship uh, and committed. Um, so ours are, you know, yeah, very much on goodwill uh, and and our reputation, uh, which is which is great, but it doesn't give us much security. The other thing is that if uh, reports were standardised uh, to a certain level and we had to include certain things, would that work for all agents and clients? I mean, at the moment, we're able to tailor our reports to their individual needs and and they're and they're often quite different you know how they want things presented who they want liability assigned to whether they want liability assigning um and would that be taken away i mean there's also the um the level of cleaning <laughs> some cleaning companies do do certain things like clean the freezer and others don't and, and it depends on which agent has used them. So I think it's, if you standardise the whole thing, does it restrict us or does it make things clearer for us? And I... And actually, this is, the, this is it, isn't it? It's, it's the, is it a good idea? Would it actually help or would it like hinder? But like you said, on the other hand, it, it gives us less, if we don't have contracts and SLAs, it gives us less standing in regards to, um, we're always kind of worried almost like, you know, they might go off somewhere else. It's, you know, it's like a cheating partner, isn't it? You never know whether they're going to still be there um, at the end of the day. Um, but equally, if we had standardisation, we had contracts, then we could employ staff, we could go away from maybe less self-employed and therefore we'd have um, be able to train um, and to a better quality and also then retain staff and build a bigger business because you had a stable basis. So it's, 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 it's a real kind of like conundrum, isn't it? Yeah. Um, as to what is the best thing to do. I mean, Mark, what do you think? Do, do you think we should have SLA's contracts or is it going to restrict us to the point where, you know, actually we won't be able to operate or we'll all be doing exactly the same thing. So therefore why do actually we need as many uh, providers as there are um i think with slas it's it depends what we're talking about like there's uh, the way i see slas is, is is more around um how we perform and um speed speed of service and consistency of availability um uh, invoicing and, and things like this and and i think if we started to put slas in place in our industry you, they would it would be invalid within days. I mean, that you know, we the amount of times we we go to properties and we can't get access um, because the keys aren't in the right place and no one's informed from front office to back office or the tenant has extended or the landlord's got a contractor in there 
And all these issues were invalidated yesterday, like, you know, on both sides. Um, so I think there's a reason they don't exist, really. We have contracts and we don't, we have terms and conditions set from the corporate side. And, and it's more a question of like, this is how we do things. And if you want to work with us, then you have to sign this piece of paper. And then that's it. It's a once a year event. It never gets spoken about. Um, we have no real leverage in terms of shaping that agreement. Um, sometimes the terms are, 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 are onerous, uh, but you know they're not going to be implemented, but they're there for worst case scenarios. You take a commercial view. Um, and I think, yeah, the, 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 the panel approach um, to supply management from the big guys is, is, is probably going to stay, stay for a while for reasons that Emily um, alluded to that they don't want to take on um, the, the, the risk of being in bed with one particular contractor um, for one particular service. And, and they'd rather spread their risks across multiple contractors. Um, they'll argue that, you know, what happens if you guys don't survive and you let us down in the middle of the summer and we can't reorganize and find additional, additional resource. I think really it comes down to you know, um, price suppression sometimes and, uh, you know, having multiple suppliers competing against each other for the work sort of, you know, um, uh, means that they have the, con the corporates have a bit more control over, over, over pricing. Um, this sort of fake en engineered competition. Um, one so of the bigger issue is, sorry to interrupt, one of the yeah. biggest issues and it's something that we've been talking about on the support hub on, on our Facebook group within Richard Base Academy is the fact that, you know, there's, there's still a big problem about getting paid to get your invoices paid and would, would an SLA make any difference or not or, you know, how, you know, and how we manage that because that's also a big a part of that part of that conversation about not having those contracts, not having that standardization in regards to, you know, when things are done, when things are paid, you can actually turn to conditions, but then it's enforcing them. Like you said, you're often- It all comes down to incentives. Like, what, are we, what are we realistically going to do about it? You know, mm -hmm. what are you going to do? Sue, sue your client, you know, because they're late on payment. You're not going to do it. And exactly. um, the payment is, and I'm glad you mentioned it. I think it's, it's my biggest, biggest bugbear and it's what upsets me the most. Um, and I find- that that the most challenging element emotionally um to have to sort of hold your nerve um and not say what you really want to say sometimes um when it comes to chasing I and mean, we have to chase sometimes 10 times for an invoice over like a six seven eight month period um and it's and it's it's almost like the cost isn't their cost you know it's a pass-through cost actually the landlord is meant to pay us and then we'll pay you but we, we messed up somewhere we didn't hold the money back or whatever it may be and therefore, it's in the vacuum. It's in the sort of no, ma you know, it's in this sort of no man's land of payment. And um, in the meantime, you know, we have paid our clerks who have been in. We're providing the, interest free you know, loans, aren't we? Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. And you've given them, you've given them the product as well. You've given them the report. So and the amendment, there's and no the, rush. And the consultation and the rebooking and the support. And I think if I could do one thing, you know, it would be to aggregate all of the suppliers and to shift the culture and to actually say we've actually you know we've had enough and people need to wake up and they need to accept that this is no longer acceptable um and that um as a group as suppliers we're all going to stick to um you know an agreed set of principles around around non-payment and late payment and try and drive change um through being more conspicuous about this this matter i think people are scared to bring it up and they're scared about the impacts of, of, of chasing too hard. Um, and on the flip side, you know, that often, often um, the corporates are understaffed 
um, or don't have, you know, have part-time accounts people that don't necessarily have a complete, you know, um, oversight as to exactly why something's gone wrong. Um, and I think until people get together and, and sit down and say, okay, we, we have to do something about this as a group, then it, there won't be a huge amount of change there. And I'm not sure, you know, dropping an SLA here or there, or, you know, it's, it's going to make any difference. Also, these, these are deep cultural um, uh, ch challenges that need to be addressed in a much more sort of uh, intelligent, intelligent way, in my view. Um, but I think it's, I think it's ridiculous. Um, I really, really do. Is it, it is. is. And is I think it's something we've all had. Sorry, go on, Emily. No, I'm just wondering if it's, uh, I know, Sean, you and I have had this conversation where we're sort of treated as the, the last person on the list. And, and often we are, you know, we're the, we're the last people to get booked. Uh, yeah, from uh, a yeah, with a, definitely. Yeah, yeah, so that, you know, it, it goes sort of landlord, tenant, or agent, landlord, tenant, you know, and then, and then oh, we might need an inventory. Um, so we're not treated as 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 important as we probably are. I mean, you know, if it comes down to report disputes and arbitration, we're there, and yeah. and we're just not treated with any sort of respect. And I don't know if that's because you don't to be an inventory clerk, you don't actually need any sort of qualifications. You don't even need a DBS check, which I find quite shocking. Yeah, we're going into people's houses. So there's no there's no government accredited scheme or qualification or, you know, a, a, a training thing that you have to pass in order to become an inventory clerk. So are we devaluing what we do by not insisting that that there is that kind of thing in place? I don't think it's um, I don't think it's a, 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 so much a question of that. I think that that's a natural um, um, sort of insecurity that emerges from operating in this industry over a number of years, and and, and I, I feel that at times. And and yes, I think we certainly could improve training and standards, and um, you know improve our position in that sense. But I think it's a systems and processes challenge um, on the other side of the market. And I, I, I just think the way the way organisations that we serve are set up um, allows this to happen. And not enough attention has been paid on their end to fixing those problems, and they are fixable. And it, it probably comes down to the expendability of, of our service. They probably think there's another inventory company. If we fall out with these guys, someone else will do it as well. Yeah. So perhaps that does talk to your point in, in some sense. But there's no excuse anymore. You know, there's a plenty of um, innovation and, and and products and services out there for our clients to 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 adopt that would mitigate a lot of this. Um, there's Payprop, I think, which are um, a big payment infrastructure company that are starting to sort of smooth some of the, the, the payment flows in our industry. Um, there's a load of fintech on the, on the deposit side of things, which you can see how that's shifting, how, how money flows th through the various stakeholders in, in a positive way. And I think it's inevitable that, um, you know, once companies realize the benefit of adopting technology to, to, to ensure that, that landlords are held liable for the services that they are approving. Um, you'll see. You'll you'll see. That's when you'll see start to see change. And once the big corporates realise, oh, hold on a minute. If I if I invest in this tech, I might save a couple of bums on seats across our property management and administrators department. Then suddenly they'll be like, okay, this is actually worthwhile, and then we will benefit as a result. Um, and I think that's coming, but it's slow and it's painful. And I just wish that they would be a bit braver and a bit bolder and it, it's professional etiquette it's not even about 
you know, oh, we're inventory clerks. And yes, it's easy to find other inventory clerks. It's not, it's, it's basic business etiquette. You know, it's just, you know, you, you pay for what, pay for what you've agreed to, to, to purchase. Um, Absolutely. I mean, I mean, I think that's, that's something that uh, has kind of come up loads of times. And I, and I think I've spoken probably to most of you about that at some point or another in as much as that we are a service and we are professional service and we deliver and we provide the reports and we should be paid, you know, as agreed you know, on time um, and be seen as a professional service. So um, the kind of the, the part parcel of this, the last question about SLAs and contracts, you know, if SLAs and contracts are not the right route, um, but we, like you said, we've got this issue with payments, but we've got the fintech there, but it's still slow in coming. What else do we need to do as businesses to be able to affect that change? Um, and one of your uh, comments, Mark, was about, you know, um, you know, banding together, talking together. And like you said, Emily, you know, getting to a point where we actually all singing off the same song sheet. Um, we can still deliver our services the way we do. We can still be, you know, a leader in our own markets and still make, um, you know, give um, landlords the kind of service they want. But it's also about the fact that if we have a collective voice, we can then affect that change and get people to look at us in the right kind of way. Because, you know, I, I, funny enough, I was writing this um, yesterday when I sent you all our emails and I, thought, and I actually thought, actually, maybe that's a little bit too hard about it. We're bloody good at what we do. We've got a lot of experience. We've got a lot of professionalism in um, in our industry. Um, we deal sometimes with very, very difficult people, very difficult circumstances and situations, especially when we go into some properties where, you know, it's, it's not really um, good to be there, you know, from a, an environmental point of view or, you know, tenants are stressed or whatever. So, we, you know, we have a multiple of hats that we wear. We do a really good job. And I think it's about time, you know, the industry saw us that, but then I think there is also an onus on us to be able to put that forward. So I think a lot of that is about standardization of our reports, um, how we deal with issues like you might have said about the um, being paid, about enforcing those terms and conditions, not just giving them once a year, but reinforcing them all the time, chasing those debts. So even though that we shouldn't have to be doing it. I mean, I actually did it yesterday and I, you know, threatened the whole kind of bailiff kind of situation. And lo and behold, I got paid yesterday. I should have to do that. At what cost? You know, you, well, you, exactly. You, Loads of admin time, which probably is now kind of outstripped the cost of the report. And but in, in your head as well, you've 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 like rattled the cage, right? And mm. you're probably thinking, "Great, I've been paid, but you know, now my relationship has dropped down a couple of notches." Exactly. And, and exactly. That, why should we feel like that? Yeah. And it's yeah. that dynamic that you know I think is 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 what most needs to be targeted. Yeah, and I, and I totally agree. Um, I, I think, you know, that needs to definitely change. And I think a lot of that is about perception, but then we need the right people in front, you know, kind of getting, you know, the, the, the associations that are there, you know, talking about us um, in the right way, you know, supporting, guiding agents, getting them to see and utilise our services in the right way. And like you said, um, that will then hopefully follow through with regards to payment standardisation um, and the whole information um, that we provide. I mean, um, Zari Taylor has just popped on the chat and she said, you know, she said that, you know, certainly she agrees that suppliers, we should all band together, we should all start talking together. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this panel. Um, one, to showcase, you know, that um, there is people behind the keys. There, there, there are businesses, we are businesses, we are employing people or we're working self-employed and in order to be able to sustain all that we need to be paid on time and not to be honest with you as I said to both Emily and Melissa recently being apologetic almost about our fees 
you know, we do a good job. We provide a really good service. We're de-risking um, a, a potential tenancy for a landlord, for an agent, and also for the tenant as well. Why, you know, we're not asking the earth, but I think, you know, the, 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 the amount we get for a property and how, when we get paid for a property, all of that needs to be kind of looked at, but we need the right kind of people and the right associations, if that's the way to go, or if not legislation to be able to help us do that. Um, but hopefully today is one of those first steps towards that. The risk of being controversial. Um, oh, please do, Ben. <laughs> How many people actually, uh, when they when they first sort of introduce themselves to a new client, whether it be a landlord or a, or an estate agent, how many people actually say, um, "This is our service level agreement"? Um, do you have any questions? Would you like to go through it? Does anyone actually do that? Has anyone ever done that? Yeah, we we always have a soft conversation around um, standards and uh, principles. And we always try and emphasize that look, we're not looking to work with every agent in London, in the Southeast, that we try and work with agents that match um, our values. Um, we try and explain that, you know, we, we pay our clerks fairly, that we treat our clerks fairly, um, and that we will make ourselves available to you, but in return, we need the following. And that is clear lines of communication. You know, if jobs are failing or there's problems of access, we need to know before our clerk gets to the property, before our clerks get to the office. And when it comes to payment, that we don't expect to be sending you, um, you know, statements every two weeks for outstanding invoices and not to be hearing back. Um, and so I think you're right. Said- I think what you're saying here, Ben, is that, you know, without that clear communication at, at the outset, you know, you, you lose, you lose the leverage and it's very hard to, you, you, are very hard to sort of dial back from that and crawl back up the ladder and say, well, hold on a minute, you know, you haven't paid us and we never had a conversation. You know, I think that's a really, really important point. I, I am definitely saying that. And I think the other thing is that, um, and, and don't take this the wrong way, but the, the things you discussed there were like access to the property, not having to chase for invoices uh, to be paid. Um, what I didn't, this is, this is just, my experience also from being an estate agent when I was when I was sort of interviewing multiple different companies, inventory companies to 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 do a work for us, not one of them said these are our payment terms that we need. We will do the job and we expect payment within 14 working days or there was it, it might be on the invoice somewhere, but no one actually ever says, right, this is what we do. This is the service we provide and this is the payment terms that we expect to be paid by. And um, do you have a process, Mr. Estate Agent or, or Mr. Landlord, of uh, do you need a PO uh, being raised? Do you need uh, authorization? Because a lot of these uh, people that we're speaking to when we're calling up and, and touting for business say, so, you know, can I, I'm, I'm an inventory clerk or I'm an inventory company. We'd love to do some work for you. Um, how many of us are actually speaking to the person who has authorization? We're not, I'm not talking about the person who makes the booking because invariably the people who make the booking is the estate agent who who does the deal if that makes sense so that could be that could be little johnny he's 19 years old it's his first job and he has no idea what he's doing all he knows is that his manager has said go book an inventory and he just picks up the phone gets on google who can i find or or there's a or there's a company already in place but he doesn't necessarily know the processes and and the reality is um one of the things that as an estate agent i set up with uh, ironically with trust inventories who I now work for um, was was actually uh, a, a PO uh, a purchase order uh, so ostensibly who the clients were what the, you know what the date of the booking was when I expected to pay the bill that kind of information um, 
it's I don't know that I had that with any of the other people I used prior to uh, to that point, if that makes sense. Nobody ever said um, I expect you to pay by this day and these are our these are our terms of business. You know, I, I never saw a terms of business. I never signed a contract. I was never offered one by any any inventory company that I ever used uh, prior to trust inventory. I think so it's I implied. Guess- Is it not implied? I mean, I, I think, you know, there's a, you could say, you know, seven days, 14 days, 13 days for clarity, but we're talking about six months. And I think, sure. you know, that, that, that you don't need, you don't need an SLA, you know, or a conversation to know that that's just a failure at some level on, 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 the, on, on the supply side, on the demand side. You know, and I think that, that at that point, that that's the, I think that's the, the type of issue that I'm, I'm referring to here. Sure. And look, we have, plen- we have plenty of agents that pay, that pay, pay well and, and, and are, and yeah. are organized. It's um, <coughs> not across the board. I, I think, think a lot of it is about the, so I'm sorry, Ben. I was just going to say that I, I think the, uh, the issue is that without, without that conversation in advance, without establishing who the right person to be speaking to is. So, uh, you know, you might, you might have a conversation when you first have, you know, create an agreement that you would do inventories for a company or a landlord, uh, more likely or not a company, uh, an estate agent um, that, that, you know, anybody can book them. But uh, I think it's just that, that process. Cause I think you, some, I think uh, Mark, you mentioned that you have the situations where the payment is lost in no man's land. And I have, personally experienced that as the estate agent and and when you get to these big companies you know the, the likes of uh, these big corporates like you know countrywide or the connell's group or <laughs> anyone like that where ostensibly the estate agents in the branch they have no control over when things get paid and that's that's very much what you describe that that issue of the guy in the branch books it but the guy who makes the payment is like i don't know miles away never never even spoke to the agent in the branch um and yet, like you said it, i i think it's kind of uh having that 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 conversation before any business takes place about what do you require to ensure payments made in a timely manner. And I think unless, I think you were sort of saying, you know, uh, it's expected, it's kind of, you know, oh, you, you, they, they know they've had the work done, they should pay it before six months. I agree. And, and again, it comes back to that enforceability. If we don't have the conversation and there's nothing in writing, we haven't got an SLA in place and we're saying we're professional and I, and I think we all are professionals, but if we don't, if we don't say, actually, as professionals, we are going to put a service level agreement in place when we when we start up a, a relationship with a new business where everybody signs to say, right, this is the expectation. You know, I do the job then, you pay then, you need a PO number, et cetera, et cetera. If we don't put that in place and we just go, oh, well, it's expected. Well, the truth is, A, it's not going to be enforceable because it's, you know, he said, she said, if it ever went to court. Um, B, like we've already already heard for, from yourself, the, uh, you know, the cost of actually recovering that money far outstrips the uh, the benefit plus destroys the, the working relationship because you've had to go down that avenue of threatening, uh, you know, legal action or bailiffs or whatever. Um, I, I just kind of think to a certain degree as an industry, we kind of almost need to take some responsibility and say, actually, you know, the first step in this process is for us all to say you know and i agree you know maybe we need a body and we need to unify what that what that service level agreement should look like or you know maybe there should be a i don't know a convention or we all come together i have no idea how how we'd even start but um you know but but i think just as individual businesses if we don't have an idea about our own expectations if we don't 
outline those in i don't know on the back of a cigarette packet sort of thing if we don't say right these are the three things that are the crux that we do you know we do the inventory you pay us in this time scaling you let us know what you need in order to make that happen if we're not doing that um we can't really be I don't want to say we can't be considered professional, but, you know, it, it starts somewhere. And I think it probably needs to start with us. We need to be the ones to say, actually, this is what, what, what our expectations are. Ah, and if we were all to do that, and I appreciate not everybody will, because sadly not everyone is, uh, is of, of like mind. Um, but if the majority do that, it will become obvious who's more reputable. Who are you going to trust? The person who lays out their expectations in black and white or the person who goes, yeah, I'll be around next Tuesday with a, with a ladder under my arm. And, uh, you know, it's it's kind of one of those situations, you know, it's who are you going to trust the person who's got it ready to, you know, all lined out, ready to go or the person kind of wings it. And that goes back to what I was saying, um, you know, in the um, in the last part of, the, of this conversation about contracts and essays, you know, is it the fact that we have to act more like a business in order to affect that change? And it's not that we don't act like a business, but I know exactly what you're both saying, Mark and Ben, in as much as that certainly when I started out, it was literally a case of get a card, I've done a template, I've got a sample report, I'll go around the, uh, at the houses of the agents and everything, et cetera, and try and get work. And then that's how you build your relationship as opposed to hire I'm here as business with my terms and conditions this is what I can do and like I said have that professional setup um, but again I think historically from my very limited experience I've only been in the industry for about 10 years um, is that that's how it's always been done you, you know you, like you said you do a little bit of training or you decide I'll do that because it seems like a really good idea and I think we need to then pull that back and say actually no we are a very professional service we come with extreme amount of skills abilities understanding etc and we then need to make sure put that into a package that when we present that to an agent we say this is what we can do this is how we want to do it this is what we benefits we can bring to you and this is also what we need from you like you said mark and also ben in regards to payment um understanding dealing with the back office getting the inf right information and and you know having that kind of like um uh, conversation constantly with that client to make sure that everybody's getting the best out of the relationship and when you think about it it's no different when we f sign a contract for any other kind of thing that we do be it, you know we buy a house buy a car um, um you know I, I probably actually sometimes give over more information while i'm buying a kettle from john lewis than i maybe sometimes certainly when i first started out when i went to an agent and nine times out of ten they didn't know who i was but they're quite willing to give me give me a set of keys to go do a job because they just needed the job doing they weren't really interested in anything else and then the money came second so i think there's definitely a benefit there to, for us to showcase how uh, what we bring to the table that we are professional service get that collective view get that collective voice and then start standardizing in some degree certainly how we actually put ourselves across we don't necessarily always have to standardize the actual reporting although i do believe there is elements that should be standardized in regards to health and safety smoke alarms that sort of thing but how we then compile the report sometimes is very individual so i think there's a lot of space there for us but certainly from a, a service point of view i think to get to that point where people see us as business, we need to act like a business. And I know personally for myself, when I first started out, 
it was more of a case of it seemed a good idea. This is what I wanted to do. I wanted to affect some change. Wasn't quite sure how I was going to do that, but I needed a starting point. But if we can showcase that better now, I think we'll get that better traction with our clients and maybe not the SLAs and contracts like USA, Mark, you know, that they might be actually restrictive. But at least with an SLA, what you're saying to someone is this is what I'm going to provide to you. And this is what I expect back from you, i.e. payment on time, being notified when keys aren't available, tenants haven't left, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I, I think that um, you know if we can do that, and obviously we can't fix that all today. We're already kind of like fifteen minutes over, but I think we probably could keep going. Um, but certainly, I think that's something that we need to kind of bring back to the table and have a bigger discussion with you know more people in the industry to see you know what can we do about that because I think we um, said so we do deliver a really great service, and I think we can um, certainly make a, a bigger difference than we already do in the industry. Right, I think that's a really good point to end if everybody's happy. Has anybody got anything else they'd like to add? No? no thank you, John. I need to go, but thank you very much for- No, thank you very together. much. And I'm looking forward to taking this much further on um, from today. So um, this will be hopefully the first of many conversations. So thank you very much indeed, all of you. I'm really you. grateful for your input, for your time. Thank you to everybody that's joined us. Um, and um, we'll get the recording out as quickly as possible. And thank you very much. Enjoy your rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. Thanks for joining us this week on the Inventory Professional Podcast. If you've enjoyed the show subscribe to our podcast now and share the love this podcast was brought to you by inventory base providers of industry leading property inspection software accredited training and on-demand property reports